Active FM presents Food for Thought with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicky Ensley. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd minister to my heart. May your word be revealed to me today, so that I may be able to understand it, and speak it, and do it, and see it change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. A wise man once said, why you do it is more important than what you do. I want to say that to you again. A wise man once said, why you do it is more important than what you do. And if you go through what we've been going through the last few weeks, we, we looked two weeks ago at the fact that you have to choose your war. Which is the war that you're going to fight? Whether you like it or not, you, you cannot be a pacifist. You're in a war. The Bible says that you're in a war. And submitting to God is the key to spiritual victory. So you have to choose your war. What is it that you're going to fight? You cannot fight every war. And then last week we, we understood the difference between Google and DuckDuckGo. All right? And when browsing the world, choose DuckDuckGo. And what was this all about? This was all about the fact that the world works on law. The world works on judgment. The world works on what it believes to be justice. We've looked at that the last three weeks. The world comes and says we demand justice. We demand it. We have to have justice. Um, in America, often there have been protests over many years where they go and they shout out, no justice, no peace. Well, the, 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 the declaration they were making was actually very biblical. Because the Bible actually declares that until Jesus comes back, there will be no justice. And there will be no peace. It's only when he comes back that there will be justice and there, and there will be peace. And yet we like to judge other people and say, Oh, look at what they did. I would never do that. Yes, but God says, I'm going to judge you with the same judgment you used on other people. And if you say, oh, I'm a good Christian and I follow the law of God in the Bible, then God will judge you on the law of the Bible. And guess what? Either way, you're doomed. And so whether we're Christians or not, we, we know the moral law of God because it's instinct inside of us. And so Romans 2.1 says, You therefore have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge one another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, do the same things. If we live by the law, we will die by the law. Every one of us has broken the law. And so it's only when we get to the end of ourselves that Jesus saves the day. And this was the key verses of last week, Romans 3, 21 to 24. But now apart from the law of righteousness, sorry, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall, fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So in this time, 
the distinction was between Jew and Gentile. We're living in a time where more and more, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of coming out of a time where we're divided by race, and now we're di- divided by vexed versus unvexed. And to the vaccinated, the unvexed are the Gentiles. And to the unvaccinated, the vexed are the Gentiles. And everyone needs to isolate from everyone else because everyone else is a threat. Now, I want you to think about that. There's all of these laws that are always in place throughout humanity, throughout humanity, throughout the history of humankind. And the laws shift, the laws change over time. But the reality is that whatever law we look at, whatever law we follow, we never measure up to. And today I want to talk to you about this, what you never measure up to. In your mind, if you're going to operate according to the world system, if you're going to search the world using Google instead of DuckDuckGo, and if you need to understand that, it means you never heard last week's sermon, then go and watch last week's sermon. But if, you, if you're going to search the world through Google, you are constantly going to come under torment because of judgment. And when you're judging like this, you have to realize that even when you do the right thing, you have issues. Because why you do it is more important than what you do. You know, I remember growing up, there was a a declaration we used to make as part of the communion services. And we used to come to God in in, in massive humility, saying, Lord, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men. And what you start describing is in thought and word and deed, in the evil we have done and in the good we have not done, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men. Now I want you to think about that. Lord, through ignorance, through weakness and through our own deliberate fault, in the evil we have done, in the good we have not done, we have sinned against you, we sinned against God first and against our fellow men. You see, until you get to that place, then you realize when you get to that place, I need a Savior. Until you get to that place, you don't believe you need a Savior. Now, imagine you do 100% the right thing. The, the fact of the matter is, if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, it's still bad. By the way, it's worse to do the wrong thing. By the way, it's worse not to do the good thing that God wants you to do. But doing the good thing that God wants you to do for the wrong motive messes it all up. And until we get to the stage where we realize that why we do it is more important than what we do, we have a problem. Romans 3 verse 31, it says, Do we then nullify the law by this faith? So the faith that we've been speaking about, do we nullify the law? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So what does this grace that the Lord give us mean? It means that we have received an eternal inheritance at no cost to us. But listen, it wasn't at no cost. It cost Jesus everything. And so now we come without condition before God because of the blood of Jesus. But this does not mean that it's okay to sin. Sin is still wrong. Sin is still deadly. And I might be saved for eternity. But if I'm going to sin, then consequences come. I'm not necessarily safe from our consequences. 
sin is death. And this is why the Lord warns us about it. Now, I want us to look at Abraham today. Romans chapter 4 verse 1 to 12 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does, who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does never count against them. In this blessedness only for the, sorry, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after you were circumcised or before? It was not after but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believed, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he then is also the father of the, of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Abraham is our example. And everything that we have as believers comes from a promise that God made to Abraham. And you can first read about it in Genesis chapter 12. And the reason why we say that is because the New Testament says that because of Christ, because of Jesus, because of our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we inherited the promises that God gave to Abraham. So if you want to understand the promises that God has for you, you've got to look at Abraham. But I want to just give you a warning right now. You need to be careful because some Christians talk like the law is a bad thing. The law is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. The law is awesome. The law is fantastic. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is not the law. When you look at us trying to follow the law, the problem is us. You see, the law is just a mirror. And it shows us where we stand before God. Now, I just want to give you an example of this. Imagine if you're totally ugly. Imagine if you're the ugliest person on the face of the planet. When you look into a mirror, the fact that the mirror is showing you back an ugly face isn't the mirror's fault. <laughs> Do you get it? Now, all of us in the spiritual realm are ugly because of sin. So when we look at the law, we see this ugly thing coming back. It's not the law that's the problem. The law is just showing us where we stand, but the law is powerless to save us. So Abraham received grace even before the law existed. Without the law, we can just be ignorant about how bad we are. Now, when I'm talking about this, we're looking at Abraham, I want you to realize when you give your life to Jesus, something changes. Please note, Abraham made many mistakes and he had many issues. But here's what we saw because of Abraham's faith. When God told him to leave the land of his father and move to a land that he'd never heard of, Abraham, because he had faith, moved. 
So if you really have faith in God, you will move. If you really have faith in God, you will fulfill His calling upon your life. If you really have faith on God, it will change how you live your life. Grace empowers you to change, to become more like Jesus. So now that we've got that out the way, I want you to understand this. The law does the same thing that putting on a light does when we look into a mirror. You know, imagine now you're looking into a mirror with that ugly face and the light's off. You might look very good in the darkness. So <laughs> we switch the light on. And then reality hits. And this is what the law's meant to do. It's meant to drive us into the arms of Jesus because we realize we are broken before God. We are busted, disgusted, messed up, finished. We have no hope. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that we can look forward to without Jesus. But therefore, it's also important to understand we cannot be saved by what we do, but only by what we believe. Look at Romans 4 verse 2 and 3. It says, If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let me tell you something. There's nothing that we have to boast about. Even in terms of stuff we've done for the Lord, there's nothing to boast about. Nothing. But God made Abraham a promise. And the promise was this, that Abraham would have as many descendants as what there are stars in the sky. Now, if you live in Joburg, you don't see that many stars in the sky unless there's load shedding. Then there's a few more stars. But I never forget the one time I went out and we went on this program called Outward Bound. I just finished the army and we went to the Maluti Mountains in Lesotho. Where is here? 1989. We were up there and it was middle of January, freezing cold. We were high up. But toilets and everything. We had to dig our own toilets. And then we lay there one night and, and it was raining the whole time. One night it wasn't raining. The clouds had disappeared. And it's, I've never seen so many stars. I've been, in, I've been in rural places, but not like there. There were stars like I'd never seen before. And then it suddenly dawned on me one day, that's what Abraham saw. Now, <laughs> at this stage when Abraham gets given this promise and God pulls him out and tells him to look at the stars in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was a pensioner. Okay, listen, he was a pensioner, and he wasn't 65, he was much older than 65. And he had no son, he had no daughter, as far as descendants were concerned, he had nothing. And so the odds were against him ever having his own child, never mind having descendants like the stars in the sky. Yet Abraham, in spite of what life was telling him, in spite of what his circumstances were telling him, he believed the promise of God, and God credited that belief that faith to him as righteousness. You have the promises of God. You have them. If you want to be righteous, believe those promises and act on them. This is what the Lord is saying to you today. God changed Abraham's name to Abraham. Abraham meant father of many nations. Now I want you to think about, imagine Abraham is walking around there with a walker, you know. He's maybe 70, 80, 90 plus. And they say, what's your name? He says, I am father of many nations. 
Where's your children? Don't have any yet. <laughs> Imagine how much faith it took for him to tell people, my name is father of many nations. Imagine saying that when you like heading for 90 and you have no children. And his wife, Sarah, who was just as old as him, God changes her name from Sarah to Sarah, mother of many nations. Imagine if you're so old, like the body says, that Sarah's body was rotten with age. And, and, and people are, are, are asking you, what's your name? And, and there the woman, my name is Sarah. I'm the mother of many nations. Really, where are your children? Don't have them yet. But aren't you barren? Yes, but I'm the mother of many nations. And people are going. <laughs> okay, please don't tell me that it's a challenge for us to believe God. Listen, if you've been promised children and you're 90 and you haven't got any yet, then we can talk because then you match Abraham and Sarah. And this promise comes to you too. If you believe the promise, you're righteous. If you believe in the power of the blood of Jesus to save you, you're righteous. If you believe in the power of the resurrection, that you too will be resurrected one day, you're righteous. And so by our application of the blood of Jesus, our sin is not counted against us. Look at Romans 4, 6 to 8. It says, David says the same thing. When he speaks of a blessedness of the one whom the Lord credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Many people equate the word blessed with money. If I've got a lot of money, I'm blessed. If I've got 10 million bucks in the bank account, I'm blessed. If I'm driving a Ferrari or Lamborghini, I'm blessed. If my house is on a hilltop somewhere and there's 35 rooms and maybe I've got an elevator in the house and all sorts of stuff like that, I'm blessed. If I'm able to go on holidays and they come and they film one of the episodes of the life of the rich and famous in my house, I'm blessed. If I'm an influencer on Instagram or some gram, whatever, I'm blessed. Yet, the world is full of people that are very full of money, yet they are cursed. Blessing is far greater than wealth. There's only one time that you're blessed. You're blessed when the Lord no longer holds your sin against you. I don't care how much of this world stuff you have. I don't care how much power you have. I don't care how many people listen to you. If, if the Lord holds your sin against you, you're cursed. And this only happens by the power of the blood of Jesus. This only happens when you follow Jesus. This is the power of the declaration of the blood of Jesus. The, the, the declaration says, by the blood of Jesus I have been justified and God sees me as though I have never sinned. Listen to Romans 5 verse 9. Much more than having been justified by His blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Just listen to those words. Much more than having been justified by what? By His blood. Having been what? Having been made as if I've never sinned. Through what? Through his blood. So how much more having been justified by his blood shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? We are saved from the wrath of God. We are saved from hell. We are saved from all of the torment uh, you know, of, of facing the, 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 the righteous anger and wrath of God, the punishment of God. We are saved by that through the blood of Jesus. What does this really mean? <clears throat> 
we have the blood of Jesus to apply for justification, which means that now we are free of accusation. We are free of guilt. We are free of condemnation. If you're walking around with condemnation, you're not walking around with the promises that God has for your life. And I'm telling you right now, you're not obedient to God. You're not listening to Him. You're listening to the devil. The blood of Jesus makes us righteous before God so that we can live with a clear conscience. You can never be what God created you to be if you are walking around with a conscience that has not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And the reason why the blood of Jesus can do this is because a righteousness has been revealed that comes to us apart from the law. Again in Romans 4, 9 to 12, in this blessedness, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is it only for those who are, you know, born in the right home? Or is it for everyone? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Abraham was circumcised after he got the promise. Abraham was circumcised after he believed God. And he, he believed circumcision as a sign, a seal of righteousness, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he's the father of all who believe, but who have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. He is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. We are not made righteous by keeping the law. We are made righteous by our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, circumcision is an outward sign of an inner covenant. Before he was circumcised, Abraham had faith. In other words, we too can have faith even before we're baptized. Now, obviously, if you've got faith, you're going to want to be baptized if you haven't been baptized already. But, but the fact of the matter is, it's not baptism that gives you faith. Baptism is an outer sign of what's happened on the inside. Abraham's faith was a faith where he believed God for the impossible. He believed he was going to have children. He was going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky when he was nearing 100 years of age. Now, here's why it's important to reach out for the dream of God. When you're reaching out for God's dream, you're reaching out for Him. Because only God can give you His dream. The dream of God is impossible. You cannot obtain the dream of God without God. We believe for the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is the promise that God has given you. And you have access to it by faith. Now there's something that we teach a lot. And I've given you the one uh, already. It's the, it's the declarations where by the blood of Jesus I've been justified. And God sees me as I've never sinned. Now do you believe that? Do you live like that? <laughs> by the blood of Jesus I've been justified. And God sees me as I've never sinned. For many of you, as you're listening to this, for you to actually believe when you say that is, is almost impossible. You see, you can't really believe that without faith. Because it's not based on something you did. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, when you're looking at someone else's sin, therefore, when you're looking at someone else's struggle, you have compassion for them. Why? Because you know what you've been saved of. 
Another declaration is, by the blood of Jesus, all my sins have been forgiven. How many of you have a problem with that? Listen to Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Jesus we have redemption, what? Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In other words, because of my faith in Jesus, I'm totally and utterly forgiven. All my sin is gone. Therefore, I can relate freely and fully to God. I'm now free. I now have real freedom. And I have real freedom now that the sin and death that I had before God has been removed out of the way. I'm blessed. I could be one of those people in a country where I'm persecuted for my faith. I could be about to be killed for my faith. But right there in that moment when I'm about to be taken out for my faith, guess what? I'm free. Until you've got this, you're not free. The next declaration we make, by the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed from the power of the enemy. I have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Jesus, the Son of God. Guess what? That comes from that same verse. Let's just go back to it. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. We are redeemed through the blood of Jesus. You know what? Jesus bought us at a price. The price was His own blood. You see, sin demanded that there had to be blood. Someone had to die. Yes, even for eating the fruit of the wrong tree. That's all that needs to happen for, the, for us to deserve death. And, and the reality is from the time that Adam and Eve sinned, through all generations, the moment we're conceived, we're conceived with that in our DNA. But now when I'm redeemed, the enemy no longer has any right or authority over my life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he doesn't even have authority over the things that you own? Do you really believe that? And then another one that I wanted to give. Because I walk in the light and have fellowship with other Christians, the blood of Jesus cleanses me now and continually of all sin. 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So we're constantly being cleansed. It's like we're on um, you know, a spiritual dialysis. We're constantly being cleansed. And, and here's the issue. We live in a world that's full of evil where the enemy seems to to, to taint our lives on a constant basis because of sin. And although this stuff's coming against us all the time, nevertheless, the blood of Jesus carries out a constant process of purifying us. And He constantly sanctifies us to stop the stain of, this, the stain of sin from touching our hearts. We can protect our hearts. But I want you to listen very carefully for this confession to be effective we need to live according to the word and in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in christ we need the fellowship please listen to me the gathering of the believers is not as the government says it's not a social meeting it is the most essential service you'll ever have and it's not a a service it's far more than a service you pay for a service For you to come to church, Jesus paid for it. I want you to understand how how important the gathering is. 
We're fighting a powerful enemy. And for us to focus on Jesus and focus on what his blood did for us, we've got to meet. We draw strength from one another. Something in the Spirit happens when we sing together. Something in the Spirit happens when we pray together. It's more powerful. I don't understand it. I just know the Word says it, and I know I've experienced it. But we, our faith dies alone. The last one I want to mention today is, By the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified and set apart for God. Hebrews 13 verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people through His own blood, suffered outside the gate. So I want you to think about that. So Jesus did something. And again, why we do it is far more important than what we do. So yeah, we get the reason. So Jesus, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood. So Jesus, to sanctify us, suffered outside the gate. Jesus suffered on the cross to sanctify us. What does it mean if he sanctifies us? It means it's like he takes us out of the world and he sets us apart. Now he sets us apart because it's supernatural, right? So imagine now I let go and this thing just hangs you. I'm not going to because it's going to drop. You understand what I'm saying? Then the, but imagine it just hangs you. It's a supernatural thing. He sets us apart. He sets us apart what? To serve him. You see, when I'm stained with sin, I can't serve God. But he sets us apart. The more I'm sanctified, the closer I get to him. The closer I get to him, the more I'm filled with the Spirit. The more I'm filled with the Spirit, the more I become like him. The more I become like him, the more I'm sanctified and the whole process starts again. What, what does it mean if we're sanctified? It means our lives completely belong to God and we are set apart to do the work of the ministry. And where do we do the work of the ministry? Everywhere we're at. Everywhere we're at. No matter what the cost. Abraham served God no matter what the cost. Why did he serve God no matter what the cost? Because he had faith. And his faith drove him. Now please understand. If you're doing this on a legal basis, you're wasting your time. It all starts with the blood of Jesus. It all starts with what Jesus did for you on the cross. It all starts with His supernatural grace. It all starts with you believing the promises. And what is the ultimate promise that we have? That one day, Jesus is coming back for His church. And because we've accepted Him and believe in Him, He's coming back for us. And everything that we have is built on that hope. You see, you've, some of you have heard me say this many times before. If your hope is in anything other than that, your hope is built on wishful thinking. Your hope is built on quicksand. And somewhere along the line in your life, something's going to happen. And your hope will, you'll see it dissipate before your eyes. But if you have the hope in that, your faith is built on top of that hope. That hope provides a foundation for your faith. That hope is based on Jesus. I really want you to think about that and focus on that today. As I said earlier, next weekend's Tomorrowland. That's what we're focusing on. 
And I want to ask you this, this question just as a teaser even for next weekend. So where's the hope when the world has fallen apart around your ears? You know, a picture I think of when I think of that. I remember when I was young, we went to watch the Jungle Book. And there was this one ape who was the king of the apes. And they were, you know, they were, they, he was ruling out of this overgrown castle. And anyway, then, then uh, the man-child comes. And I can't remember exactly what happened or why, but everything starts shaking and that whole temple comes down. And all you see is this king monkey. He's holding up. He's trying to hold up this temple that's busy crumbling. And the whole thing crumbles around, crumbles around him and all he's left is holding this little piece of concrete. And that's all that's left of his temple. His temple's gone. His kingdom's gone. Now, if your whole temple's gone and you're just standing there with this little thing, what is your hope? What is it that's going to sustain you? Because Jesus promised storms. Jesus also promised in the Gospel of John that in this world you will have trouble, but fear not for I've overcome the world. What does that mean? It means your hope is on when he's coming back for his church. Oh yeah, and by the way, just while you're living in that hope, if you're faced really with him, he looks after you as well. Now Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, we always go back to this because this is what it's all about. How do you, how do you take this on from the Lord? Well, it says here plain and simply, but what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be saved. The converse is also true that if you do not confess with your mouth and you do not believe in your heart, that you're going to have a problem because if you're not saved, what is it you're not saved from? You're not saved from an eternal destiny that was not meant for you. It was meant for Satan and his demons. But because of sin, that's automatically where you're headed. Okay, just accept that. Because of sin, you're automatically headed there. But when you have faith, when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, in other words, when you confess with your mouth, that Jesus owns me because he bought me with his own blood. And when you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, because if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, guess what else you're believing? You're believing that you too will be raised from the dead. Because that's what he promised he'd do. When you believe that, everything changes for eternity. And so maybe you're struggling right now and you're thinking, no, I'll just pray later. And I want to tell you that you need to come to the altar of the Lord right now because the altar sanctifies everything. You can't wait, and for late, wait until later. Don't think you're going to have an effective time of the Lord later. Don't think that you need to wait until you're ready. You don't wait until you're ready. You come right now just as you are. And why do you come right now just as you are? Because when you come to the altar of the Lord, what you're saying, you're saying, Lord, now is my time. This is my time. You've revealed yourself to me in this service. 
Lord, I want to make the most of this opportunity because I do not know if I'll ever have this opportunity again. Lord, I'm tired of the weight of my sin being on my shoulders. I'm tired of the guilt and the condemnation. Lord, I'm tired of not knowing if I'd be okay with you if I were to die tonight. Lord, I want to know that I'll be okay with you. And so I want to commit my life to you right now. I want to submit my life to you right now, completely now. I can't wait until I get home. Because I don't know if I'll make it. Lord, I'm coming to you right now and I don't want to live eternity far from you. I don't want to be afraid of death. I want to know that I'm okay because I want to know that I'm living with you. I'm living close to you from this day on. I want to know that I'm close to you from this day on so that when my death comes knocking, I know that my death won't affect me because I know I'll be with you forever. And so God is really calling you right now with this. He's calling you with everything that He has. He gave everything for you. He gave His Son. He loves you so much that He did not spare His Son. I'm just praying now that as you think about that, that the love of God is just filling your heart. That you're experiencing it. So I'm going to ask you to close your, your eyes. And the Lord is speaking to some of you. Some of you here, some of you at one of the sites. He's speaking to you right now. And maybe he's calling you to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe he's calling you to recommit your life to Jesus. If you're watching this at home, if you're listening on the audio, right now I want you to send an email to info at theactivechurch.org. Say, I've given my life to Jesus for the first time or I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. We want to contact you. If you're here or at Henley or at one of the other sites, then I'm going to ask you right now, if you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time or maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus, just raise your hands and we're going to pray with you. And we're going to believe with you. Some hands have gone up. See those hands at the back there. Is there anyone else? I'm just asking this one last time. I just feel I need to ask that again. Is there anyone else? Please, if you're at the site, if you're a site leader, please watch if there's anyone at your site that needs to give their lives. I want to ask one last question. Maybe right now, guilt has been overwhelming you. Maybe, maybe condemnation has been overwhelming you. Maybe you're struggling. Then raise your hand right now or send the email right now. Because the Lord says, I want you to experience that your debt is paid. And so if that's you, just raise your hand right now. I'm going to ask you to put your right hand on your heart. And visualize Jesus. What faith does is it changes what we visualize. 
It changes the picture we paint of the future. So I want you to visualize him on the cross. I want you to visualize his blood that is being shed for you because the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says that this same Jesus who died on the cross of Calvary over 2,000 years ago, he died for your and my sin once and for all. The work of, of, of washing our sin away is finished because the blood that he shed was the, the price that was paid that will wash our sins away. Therefore, repeat after me as we pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner today. I repent of everything I've done wrong. And I renounce my life of sin. I accept your sacrifice. And I know it was the price you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask that the blood of your wounded body would wash me of all my rebellion, all my sin, that you'd set me free from any sickness and any pain. Lord, I accept that my debt has been paid. There is no outstanding balance. You paid everything for me at the cross of Calvary. I accept that by your blood I'm justified. And you see me as though I'd never sinned. And that by your blood I'm sanctified. You have chosen me to serve you. And I'm willing to serve you. Today I open the door of my heart. And I invite you to come in as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. And giving me eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Visions and dreams are the language of your spirit. The unknown is revealed through the power of the fourth dimension.